Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. Is anyone else struggling with what to wear these days? I've been pretty frustrated with getting dressed over the last few months as I've navigated body changes, and some days I quite literally have no idea what to wear. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion. When I signed up, I took a style quiz, and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my life. I've been renting clothes from Armoire for a while now, and the more I rent, the more on point the suggestions get. Plus, you send what you wear back, which is a great way to try new styles without waste. Armoire also has such a fantastic range of options. Whether you're planning an outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or maybe a family event, or just need some updated options for everyday life, you'll be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to find time for an exhausting shopping day. Right now, Didn't I Just Feed You listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash D-I-J-F-Y. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-I-J-F-Y to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share HomeThreads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At homethreads.com, Discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to homethreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. Homethreads, love where you live. That's homethreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. Love frozen treats, but eat low carb? We've got good news. With Briar's Carb Smart, you can enjoy tubs and bars of flavors like caramel swirl, mint fudge, peanut butter, chocolate covered almond, and more while keeping each serving three to five grams net carbs and 150 calories or less. Stacy, you missed the best part. These frozen treats are delicious. Grab your exclusive discount at briars.com backslash didn't I just feed you and use it at any major retailer to try Briar's Carb Smart today. Food is so complicated and there's so many stories attached to it and so many details surrounding like why you're cooking what you're cooking or why you're drawn to the flavors you're drawn to and oftentimes those go back to identity so I think just like the intersection of identity and cooking means that there is such thing as queer food. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. Hi, I'm Stacy. <laughs> Before we get started, we're in a mood today. I'm just kidding. Aren't we always in a mood now that we're in quarantine? Yes. Hey, I'm going to make this real quick. Turn it into one line. While you're listening right now, subscribe, rate, and review. 
It helps us a ton. It helps our morale. We know you can do it while you're listening because you're a master multitasker. Okay. The editor in me literally just was thinking to myself, that would be a majorly run on sentences. She didn't do it in one sentence. That's definitely minimum two sentences, but I still applaud. I speak and run on sentences. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not because we have a podcast together, but I literally <laughs> speak in run on sentences in my whole entire life. Brian will be like, oh my gosh, can you get to the point already? The words, so many words. I cannot words. make a long story short to save my life. I can make a short story long for sure. It's because you're too busy adding details and air quotes. Yeah, that no one can see. <laughs> no one can oh my see. God. Okay. Listen. Listen, Linda. I knew um, it. I was waiting for it. Yes, <laughs> Megan. What do we got for the people today? What do we got for the pe- people today? Okay. So it's many, it's many things and it's many layered. And we're going to talk about that right up front, which is June is Pride Month. J- June is Juneteenth, a celebration yep. of Black history. And we had this really cool opportunity because my colleague at Kitchen, Jesse, just wrote a Tasty Pride cookbook, which is so beautiful. And we had this opportunity to interview him about the book. But of course, it became this much larger conversation about what does it mean to be queer in food media and how are LGBTQ folks represented or not represented, to be quite frank, in food media. Um, but it also led Stacey and I to have a conversation sort of, sort of offline about what does it mean when we like interview people of color, people who are queer, underrepresented people in general? And are we sort of like, it's not iconalizing them. It's like tokenism. We are using them as a representation. And so we want to be like pretty explicit and clear that that is a, a thing that we are aware of and we try our best not to do. Our goal with Didn't I Just Feed You is obviously always to like make feeding your family more delicious, which can mean so many things, right? Or easier or fun. And that that can be very layered. But our secondary goal, which we don't always talk about, is that we want to be more representative because we are two very privileged white women with sort of atypical families. And we just know that there's so much more to what family means in the world at large. Uh, you mean typical families, right? Not yes. Typical. Yes. Like we're your husband, wife, two kids. Blah. Yep. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think part of my sensitivity to how we would frame this episode in our interview with Jesse came from the fact that it's Pride Month and this felt like the like such a wonderful way to kick off a month that at least here in New York City is like such a wonderful time of year. It's like this beautiful celebration and acceptance and New York City and weather, like all these things, usually this year is going to look different, obviously. For sure. Come together in such a beautiful way. But we haven't really like used our platform yet to just in months outside of June, talk about queer food and what it means and to pull up a, you know, for a queer person to pull up a chair, you know, and sit around our table with us. It's happened before, but we haven't talked about it explicitly. And now we're doing it in Pride Month. And what does that mean? So I don't know. I I think that as white cisgender women 
who come from privilege, financial privilege as well. It's really about being aware and being willing to have the conversation, get feedback, tolerate it when you've done it wrong, (laughs) and then keep expanding your worldview. And that happens by continuing to pull up a chair at every moment that you can. But it just sometimes you don't want to, you don't want to do it wrong. It feels scary to do it wrong. But if you let that stop you, then you don't end up having the conversation and then things don't move forward. We could almost put a caveat on every single episode of any subject matter and say, you know, we're talking about things from our personal perspective or sharing other perspectives of our guests. But like, that doesn't mean that we we're not open to other points of view. I think about this, like, this is such a weird example, Stacey, but I'm going to use it. We did the whole episode on cheese around the holidays. And we had someone in the listeners group be like, that was so great. But also what about vegan cheese? And it started this really great thread. So it's like that thing of there's lots of meanings to representation and a lot of like different point of view, points of view in food in general. And like, if you don't feel like we're covering something correctly We have the listeners group, we have email, we have DM. We always want feedback because that's the only way we can be better at what we want to do, which is be inclusive. 100%. And our conversation with Jesse was really great. He's awesome. You're lucky you get to work with him all the time. He has the best dry sense of humor. And it's just like incredibly refreshing. I don't know any other way to explain it than that. And also his Instagram feed is so beautiful. We both love to bake. So we have like a lot of baking conversations on Slack. He's just a really great, a great person in general. And this book is like seriously incredible. I can't understate what a cool project it is, but also like I want to make all the recipes in it. Yeah, right. So that's the bottom line. So this book actually does good. And Jesse will talk to you all about like what his, like how he approached doing this book and how he wanted it to give back in a really meaningful way that went beyond just representation to the LGBTQAI plus community. But like the bottom line is that if we're paying for a cookbook, we want the recipes <laughs> to be killer. Yes. And these, okay, so we do ask Jesse his three favorites. And I have to say, I, literally my mouth is watering as I go through this. There is so much like, okay, Puerto Rican style pimento cheese, number one on my list. Yes. That looks amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many. I'm like scrolling through. Which is your favorite? Okay, I have to pull out there. Another one of our kitchen colleagues, Amelia Ramp, contributed a recipe for these cauliflower with like Gouda sandwiches on them. What is it called? Let me find it. It is such a great family recipe. You know, I have a recipe for broccoli subs that my family really loves, and I feel like this is on par with that. And the story that she shares about like coming out to her family and then her experience when her own daughter came out to her is just like incredibly heartfelt. It's hard. Jesse talks about this. It's hard to separate the recipes, which are incredible, from the also beautiful, sometimes funny, sometimes tear-inducing stories that go along with each of them. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say next. Like, these recipes are gorgeous. They're beautiful. All, like, food professionals. Like, these are seasoned recipe developers, restaurateurs, writers. 
But then knowing the story behind it, that's what food is about. Like, I know that a lot of you listening just, you know, on a regular basis need a resource. Like, where's a cookbook where I can pull it out? I can make that great. It's quick. It's easy. It's tasty. But, you know, when you're speaking to other food professionals and food lovers, it really is about that, that soul connection. And that's why representation matters because it's more than just who can develop a perfect coco vin or whatever the dish is, you know, who can cook pasta perfectly. It's about like, where did you learn how to cook pasta? Like, what does it mean to you? The first time you ate coco vin, what was it your French grandmother that, or did you grow up in the States and you never had an opportunity to travel and you find yourself in France, you know, in Paris one day? That's what makes the food so meaningful. Yes. Okay. Chickpea with chorizo. Wait, chickpea and chorizo rigatoni with manchego and smoky breadcrumbs. Yes. This is what I'm talking about. Then there's just that. You you want to make that immediately. (laughs) Immediately. My kids would love that. I feel like we might get, we might just like in spend too much time talking about how much we love talking to Jesse. So I think we should go ahead and introduce him and talk to him. Hey, but Megan, not before hearing from our sponsor. At Didn't I Just Feed You, we pride ourselves on being in no judgment zone and making sure to offer helpful tips, easy recipes, and tasty food products no matter how you cook or what you eat. So if you're on a low carb diet like Stacy, we're here to help. We don't care if it's because you're keto, it feels better, and anything in between. We just want you to feel great and eat delicious things. That's why we're happy to bring you Briar's Carb Smart, a line of frozen treats that's three to five grams net carbs and just 150 calories or less per serving. We know that a low carb count matters to some of you, and we've got you covered. And for everyone else, like me, for whom it doesn't matter, I'm happy to report that Briar's Carb Smart is delicious. And I know my frozen treats, guys. This summer, treat yourself to Briar's Carb Smart in flavors including chocolate covered almond, mint fudge, caramel swirl, and more. We made it easy for you with an exclusive coupon for our listeners. Visit briars.com backslash didn't I just feed you. Because everyone should eat treats. Jesse Shevchuk is a recipe developer, food writer, and stylist based in New York City. His work has appeared in such publications as BuzzFeed, The Kitchen, of course, Food 52, and Bake from Scratch. Also, by the way, how adorable is he? I he is a be- he's usurped me as the best hair on Kitchen's team. He does his hair is killer. <laughs> he and your hair is gorgeous, but his hair. I'm tell I have no problem saying that he has usurped me as the best hair on Kitchen. And now, without further ado. Obviously, Tasty Pride is a gorgeous cookbook, and it's full of crave-worthy recipes, but it's also a super big deal because in partnership with Tasty and Penguin, your Penguin Random, your publisher, you were able to donate $50,000 in total to GLAAD, which for people who don't know, we should get applause behind that. Yes. Thank you. Um, It's an anti-defamation organization founded by LGBTQ plus people working in the media. And maybe more importantly, because we're in food media also, is like you were able to pay every single contributor for their work. So talk to us a little bit about the process of making that happen, because outside of all the just like regular blood, sweat and tears that go into a cookbook, that's an exceptional feat. Thank you. Yeah. So when we were like concepting the book, getting everyone paid, I, I felt like it was like, a fundamental detail like if we can't do this we shouldn't do the book because along with the donation process I felt like 
publishing this book had to be like a reinvestment in the community in multiple ways like not only just for the representation but like financially i would like to put money back into these people's pockets so so like the representation can continue and that's kind of the exact same reason i thought glad was the perfect partner because you know working with buzzfeed and tasty we're reaching an audience that they're probably not you know seeing these stories as much as like other people and so it's all about representation so it's cool to get fifty thousand dollars back in their pocket so they can also make sure like this kind of work continues i think that's such an important point that representation has become such a central issue but really like helping build wealth in communities that have been disenfranchised from the main ways that people typically build wealth is so so important not just on a personal level to these people, but also, like you said, so that like over the years it builds and representation becomes a more like automatic, natural thing because all these communities have the wealth to invest in restaurants and do cookbooks and they can afford to take a year off and get that blog off the ground because we all know you don't make money doing that right away, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then they, people can kind of, rise to prominence that way i mean it does kind of come down to getting paid a little bit yeah it's like it's terrible to think about but like money honestly it comes back to money so if if this book didn't have that reinvestment portion there's like nothing to be proud of this book if if it was just a contributor book that everyone you know donated quote the recipe like i would not be proud of that yeah, just be like more emotional labor that's put on so many underrepresented communities. Totally. Yes, exactly. So clearly it's important to you to be someone who says, you know, I'm LGBTQAI plus in the food media. This matters. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means for you specifically? And like here, I told you, we got, we got the big questions here. <laughs> yeah, putting you on the spot. yeah, like what is there such a thing as queer food? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think queer food essentially is just any food prepared by like a queer person. But I think, you know, layered on top of that, you know, food is so complicated and there's so many stories attached to it and so many details surrounding like why you're cooking what you're cooking or why you're drawn to the flavors you're drawn to. And oftentimes those go back to identity. So I think just like the intersection of identity and cooking means that there is such thing as queer food. And I think like personally being like outspoken and trying to be visible within food media is important because when I was working at BuzzFeed, it took a while, but I realized like, wow, this audience is massive. So if I'm able to, you know, do Q and A's with queer chefs or talk about, you know, the intersection of identity and cooking, it's going to reach people, you know, maybe like my younger self who was longing to see that kind of representation because, you know, oftentimes you can't really be something until you see it already existing. So I think that that concept's really important. Wow. Okay. That, just, that actually answered our follow-up question about like what you feel is important for queer professionals moving through food media and the restaurant world. And not just as we get into June. So I have a follow-up question, which is like, you've been in food media for a long time now. How do you feel like recipes specifically are adapting to a much broader and more inclusive meaning of family? Yeah, I think, I think that's really interesting because 
I think maybe like five years ago, 10 years ago, or even now, still, when we like search, you know, family recipes, they're going to give you recipes that yield four. And then the head notes are going to talk about this biological family that's like a male, a female, and two kids. And I think yes. that we're totally growing past that. And when you look at kind of like more modern recipes, I think. I think recipe developers are being more aware that family means like many things and, you know, it doesn't have to yield four portions. And it's, I think family is just kind of any meal that brings people together now. Oh, I love that you bring that up because I do think that people struggle with, you know, a recipe is a recipe, but actually <laughs> how many people it serves, you know, what the head notes say, there's all this stuff embedded in the way that recipes are presented that speak to what we as a culture consider a status quo that is invisible to those of us who are part of the status quo. And so um, it's a really important conversation to start like pulling back the curtain and say, actually, you know, your serves four and, you know, my husband does this and my kids love it, like doesn't resonate with me or my experience at all. Yeah, totally. I think you know, like chosen family is just as important as biological family. And so when we're looking at recipes, I think it's like important as developers to keep that in mind. Yeah. And even biological families don't all look the same anymore. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not I mean, they four probably people. Never did, yeah. But... Like even in New York, like I, four people is probably totally not the norm for the amount of people in a family. Yes. I am from New York. That is true. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to have a family of four here. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. I, as a follow-up, what do you wish or like what would you like to see change in recipes and in food media that you feel that really like still hasn't you know if we're improving head notes we're working on serving size like what else is missing i think uh like going back to representation i think it's important to get you know quote experts in their field like to write about different recipes and not necessarily saying like oh get a recipe developer to write this you know, paella recipe, but maybe get someone who's familiar with that culture or grew up with that culture to tackle that versus, you know, maybe someone on staff at various media companies wouldn't be the right person to do that. And I think going along with that, it's just going to make like the head notes and the stories behind them so much deeper. And it's going to help people kind of like realize the cultural significance of what they're cooking. And I think there is a conversation that is has started to happen over the last few years around culture um, and cultural appropriation in food and white food writers popularizing recipes like <laughs> the stew, uh, when actually there's a rich cultural long time history behind the combination of ingredients that you've pulled together. How does that translate, you know, for someone, you know, both Megan and I are white cisgender you know, moms of two, we do have that, like that nuclear family that looks like the norm. We also work in the food industry and we want to do our part to make sure that there's queer representation. What does that mean? What is something that we can do? And also like our listeners, what is something that they can do as they consume food media? Yeah. I mean, I think on like the media side, like as editors, there's like practical resources. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with equity at the table, but yeah, it's like it's Julia. Yeah. So it's Julia Turson's database that I turn to countless times when 
making the pride book and it's basically just this mega list of amazing talented folks who do all kinds of things like butchers food writers photographers and like their contact information who are part of different minorities so it's really cool anyone who's like writes about food to use that resource and then i guess from like a consumer and reader standpoint it's just i mean that's a hard question because we're looking for great recipes but i think something like this stew if i think look at the ingredients that are in it and just try to think about like where do these influences come from is the writer crediting them are they at least mentioning like oh this came from a chickpea curry that has existed forever and like if not i don't know maybe like google chickpea curry and see if there are other iterations that are from people who are like acknowledging that cultural background yeah when i have when i i recently published a cookbook and it's a chicken dinner cookbook so i i was i really struggled at first with like how am i not going to have to dip my toe into cooking from around the world. (laughs) Everybody cooks chicken and it it felt impossible. And I did a lot of reflecting and decided that for me, the thing to do was to stick to recipes that I had a personal connection to. And then also to use the other spaces in the cookbook, in particular, the head notes, to really make sure that I reference history and that I pique curiosity. And so this idea that as food writers, we can pique curiosity so that you can like learn about like food is such a wonderful way to learn about culture and people. But also as a reader or as a consumer of food media, I do think that that's a great point that use food to pique your curiosity about ingredients in history and geography and culture and all of these different things. Because I think all three of us can say (laughs) with confidence that there are really no brand new recipes. (laughs) You know, we're all really doing twists on things that have been done for many, many years and generations before us in all different cultures. So I love this idea of piquing curiosity, but also as consumers, we do have some power too. Um, You know, in recent years, there have been brands who have done big things for Pride Month. What's your take on that? Like I think of the Oreo cookie you know, the big rainbow Oreo cookie that they did. Um, and they did a whole series of ads and products. How do you feel about brands showing up for Pride Month? And is there, are there any like watch outs for us as consumers? Yeah. From your point of view? Yeah. So I feel like recently I'm actually getting like a lot of pitches from different brands who are doing Pride Month things. And the first thing I ask is just, is is any aspect going back to charity? Like is any percentage of sales being donated? And I think that's, that's truly the number one thing is, you know, if you're going to slap a a rainbow flag on something, like something has to be reinvested in the community for you to be able to use our identity in that way. And then additionally, you know, there's other details that you should look out for. Like, is this narrative that they're painting positive? You know, going back to like what GLAD does is that they make sure that these narratives for queer people in all different facets of media are like stories that are positive and painting us in a good light and just making us, you know, realize that like we are like everyone else, we are good people and are these campaigns doing that. And so I think if nothing's going back to donation and it's simply like this gay for pay initiative to try to make more money, I would avoid those kind of things. Yes. One of my favorite pushback questions to Pride Pitches is also 
are you hiring within this community? Like, what does your representation within your company look like? Because if you have no one who is from the queer community, like in your business and you're trying to push these products, it's a really, really empty promotion. Yeah, it's like totally counterintuitive thinking. Yes. And I will say as a consumer, one of the things that I've done personally, and I think is really easy for our listeners, um, is to follow people whose families do not look like mine and whose lifestyles do not look like mine and whose skin color do not look like mine. It's really easy. Like likes and shares are free and they're great ways to support all different types of communities and also like learn. We shouldn't always have to come to our queer friends and family and say, like, what do I, you know, what do I do about this? What do I need to know about this? Like a way to learn is what with what people are already sharing on yes. social media. I was going to say, because that's another thing, like the follows and likes are free and that's great. But then actually stop and read. <laughs> you know, yes. And it doesn't have to be some big political statement. I mean, Jesse, you're here today because you've just put out this gorgeous cookbook that we're going to talk about more in a second. But just listening to the everyday stories, like acclimating yourself to hearing what it's like, you know, just the way you would a friend who has a different point of view. You know, you understand them not just through the debates that you have, but just by like living life side by side and paying attention. Yeah, totally. And this is all about like, it all comes back to representation. It's like the more voices and opinions that you have coming into like one brand, the stronger and more interesting it's going to be. Yes. And also you should buy the book. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. Can we talk talk about the book? It's like, (laughs) we don't need to make you like a representative for every single. (laughs) Buy the thing that people are selling. That's a way to support them for sure. Okay. Stacey, go ahead. And it's gorgeous. It really is. Like there are so many recipes that I've already flagged that I want to make from it. And you know, this like color palette speaks to us. This is so like our thing. It's gorgeous. It's playful. It's colorful. And yeah, the recipes are okay. Okay. We're going to put this like really, this is like real pressure on you, Jesse, because I know that tons of your friends and respected colleagues are have written for this book (laughs) they've shared these beautiful stories about their like own coming out and their families and what family means to them and then of course these really great recipes you have to pick just three recipes from tasty pride oh my god that everyone has (laughs) to make or like they're the reason to buy the book just you can only pick three okay (laughs) man this is hard it's like picking my favorite children it Um, is that's the point we do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Megan and I do that. You're allowed to have it favorites. Happens. And maybe it changes. Maybe it today does. you have three favorites and tomorrow there are three different ones. Okay. That makes me okay. feel better. Yes. Um, okay. The first one would be Brian Hart Hoffman's wedding cake cookies. And this is because this was the first recipe I got back when I asked for submissions. And the kind of guidelines I gave for the head down was so broad. I had no idea what this was going to shape up to be. And Brian basically sent me this head note about how growing up, he loved weddings. He would go to them as just part of his family culture. And then as he grew up, he got like really depressed because he realized he would never be able to marry like the person he loved. And then, you know, fast forward to legislation changes. He met his husband, he got married in his backyard. And these like cookies are pretty much like this, this idea that like a celebration is never too far in reach. And so when he sent that, I was like, Oh my God. I started crying like this. Wow, <laughs> yes. this could be like an important thing. <sighs> that's that's a good that's one. A great one. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to tear up. Okay. 
Okay. Jazzy, it's emotional in quarantine. Oh my God. <laughs> Started with a, a doozy, a doozy story that's beautiful. Okay. okay. Number two. Number two is so Biliosis gave me this chocolate cake. And so originally he gave me pie recipe, I want to say, because he's like a total pie expert. And um, I was like, question, because he was the pastry chef for the Obama administration in the White House. I was like, I know that like some huge legislation changed during that time. Do you have any relation to that? And he's like, oh yeah, there's this chocolate cake I would make for like celebration days. Uh, you know, like we probably made it the day that, you know, Obama first voiced his support of gay marriage. It was just like their go-to thing. I'm like, I want that cake recipe. So that's mm-hmm. probably my number two. Also a great pick. Yeah. I, everything I'm just like taking back to stories. I think maybe Justin Chappelle's Salmon salad was another one. Like the head note just really resonated with me. I'm just picking all head notes that made me cry, essentially. That's fine. <laughs> we like that. We're here for that. <laughs> so it's like this salad of just like greens tossed with rice and like flaked salmon. And he wrote about how he met his now husband. And I guess like he wanted to impress Justin. So he cooked this, I guess, interpretation of the salad. But he was trying to plate it really beautifully. So he made like this halo of like arugula that like surrounded a piece of fish. <laughs> and it was just like horrible. But like Justin realized like, oh my God, if, if like this man like cares so much to cook something and impress me. And it was like, you know, in quotes, the first time he, what some people might call like a normal life, like a life in which someone cares so much for the other person that it's like a heartfelt effort into making this beautiful plating. So that was another one that made me cry. And it's funny because when we were on set, we shot two versions of the photo. The second one was the halo photo to make it look horrible. And unfortunately, it didn't make it into the book, but I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I feel like you're going to have to share it as a follow up at some point, like in your stories or something, because we need to see that photo. Oh, my God. Actually, maybe I'm going to ask for it tonight because I don't know why I didn't think that's such a great photo. I send it to Justin. I think I like text or DM him while we we're on set as like a joke. Be like, oh, we styled your thing. And he's like, oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. Okay, <laughs> next week we'll ask you what your your next three favorites are, so you don't feel so bad to not talk about. There are so many, so um, many, so many incredible recipes and so many incredible people in this book. So really, like super brass tacks, and we will put links to everything, anything you mention in the show notes, so our listeners can go right there and make like do action now after they buy Tasty Pride. What else can our listeners do to support LGBTQ plus food? Like right now, like do, is it, a, we put a big donate button to Glad? Tell us. Yeah. I mean, I think so. If you have the book in the back few pages, it's breaks down everyone's bio, the contributor bios. And I think honestly, it would just be great to like pick out these recipes that like appeal to your taste and then just look up the people, where do they work? They have blogs, read their blog, follow them on Instagram and just like reinvest in the people that you're, you know, cooking these recipes from, I think would be a great place to start. And then also there's just, there's like a a plethora of, you know, people who are doing amazing work within the book. There's a few people who have like nonprofits, like Liz Alpern has Queer Soup Night. So if you're, you know, in a city that you know, we have these parties, obviously not now. There's some digital parties. So, you know, attend these parties when you can and just show up for these events. And yeah, I mean, just check out these people's work, I feel like would be the first step. Do you have anywhere, like maybe it lives on TC, like a just link lush list of all the people who worked on the book? Ooh, I don't know if I do. 
oh actually yes so if you go on <laughs> if you go on amazon um like there's like a few pages you can look at and like i think it's like the third file that's uploaded has the two pages that lists everyone who contributed to the book oh that's great. amazing that's we will link directly to that because we like we're gonna make it as easy as possible for our listeners to do to do what we say and then also like cooking the food and sharing the food to their own personal instagrams and to our listeners group wherever they feel comfortable sharing i think um spreading that like pride and joy is is super meaningful as we head into june Yeah. If we're in quarantine during uh, through the end of June, which I have a feeling will be the case in New York, throw a pride party. (laughs) Get out of your stoop. Like celebrate. Like, yeah. Oh, Oh, uh, Stacey, you're saying our listeners should. Yeah, no, I'm saying I'm telling our listeners like go out there, like celebrate, like make it a party where you are. Don't make it so that people are missing out that they can't go to some place and gather in a huge crowd and be who they are. Like make your street the place, your block, the place where people are welcome to come out and celebrate safely this year. Yeah, totally. Like order some Shaquanda's hot sauce, some diaspora turmeric and cooks mercies on book. Yeah. Yes. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. This was, I loved it so much. And I love the questions you guys were asking. And it's just really nice to hear like allies who are doing this like beyond well. Like I'm so thankful that you guys support our community. Oh man, we try. I feel like it's not, <clears throat> it'll never be enough, you know. Yeah, same. I feel the same. It'll never be enough. And hey, if uh, Jesse, as you listen to us and any of our listeners tuning in right now, if there's ever a way that we can do it better, we certainly encourage you to be in touch with us. We yes, and same in. for me, please. Megan, I'm really, I'm actually really jealous that you get to be in touch with Jesse every day. I know. He's wonderful. You should be um, jealous. I know. And you know, <laughs> I think it's a it's a it's um I imagine from where I sit that it's a, it can be a tricky position to be in. You know, like some days like if I find myself in a room where I'm the only woman, I want to be like, "Hey, it's really important to notice here and hear me. Like I'm the only woman." And other days it's like, "I don't want to carry that." <laughs> yeah. That's like, not, not my job. Someone else figure out yeah. how to represent. Like, yes. I'm just here. I'm Stacy. This is what I want to say. Can we just move on? So, you know, I can imagine that obviously he feels so passionately about representation and deepening what that even means and how it looks in his community. But also, like, it's a lot to be going around at the beginning of Pride Month talking about, you know, being a queer food professional. Yeah a little bit of emotional labor right yeah and, t- and telling people how they should be represented so we're like super appreciative of jesse coming out and talking and sharing his sage wisdom with us absolutely so i want to put out a little listeners challenge based on our conversation with Ooh, jesse and one of the, the things that i um, personally have found to be super refreshing which is in our listeners group let's start a thread And maybe we'll even do something on Instagram of like 
people that you, that everyone follows, that our listeners follow, whose families don't look like theirs. And, and I say families because I think that's really important. Like, are you following same-sex couples who have children the same ages as you? Are you following, you know, some different family structures, adopted families, et cetera? There's so many different ways to look at family. Who are you following that doesn't look like your family? And share that with us so that we can also follow them. And I want to encourage all of our listeners who follow us on Instagram and Facebook to find five new people to follow this week. I love that. You know, this actually reminds me, do you know who Clancy Miller is? I don't, but now I'm going to have to follow them. Yes. So Clancy Miller is the author of a cookbook called Cooking Solo. And her handle on Instagram is Clancy Cooks with a K, K K-L-A-N-C-Y Cooks. Yeah. So... You know, this, there was a whole hubbub with Alison Roman that happened recently. And, and we're going to talk about it in a different way. We we are. We, yeah. we plan to. But Clancy just got on Instagram stories and literally just shared a photo of a piece of paper that she completely filled with professional food writers of color yes. and just took the photo and was like, of course, you all know that I have a lot to say, but like here, follow these people because, you know, it's like Jesse's saying, it's great that we're having all these conversations, but we all need to start digging deeper. Yes. And really supporting the communities that we say we support in meaningful ways. Yes. And sharing their work yes. to not just following them. I know it would be really like amazing to be like, hey, every single one of our listeners go buy this book and also like make a donation to Glad. But I know that like, especially in quarantine times, like that's a privilege that not everyone has. But if you're on social media, it's free to do these other things that are very supportive of other communities. Do it. Do it. Do it. So find us at Didn't I Just Feed You on Instagram and Facebook, where you can also join our private listeners group that Megan's been talking about. You will be prompted with a question. The answer is whiskey. And that's the end of that. That's that on that, as I've taken to say recently. (laughs) (laughs) More importantly, subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends about us and leave us a review on iTunes. It means you'll be our favorite child for one week. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jim Endo. A huge, humongous, heartfelt, deep, deep, deep thank you to our editor, Samantha Getzik. I'm Stacy. And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well fed. Until next week. My favorite kind of food is probably um bacon, which I'm kind of sad about bacon because um, I like pigs, but I feel very sad that people turn pigs into bacon. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening.